This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. This is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take a play or film that has never been staged before or is never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello, I am still here. And this week we are joined by film buff and friend of the pod, Jacob Barron. Hiya, thanks for having me on. Um, As you might guess from Jacob's last name being the same as mine, he is my brother. Um, He is the perfect guest to have because he (laughs) cannot leave the house that I am in. (laughs) <laughs> it is illegal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep uh, um, yeah yeah brilliant so we've got jacob with us and he has suggested that we do this film ex machina yeah so ex machina is a a 2015 sci-fi thriller is directed by Alex garland who also has gone on to do annihilation and things like that um, and it stars Oscar Isaac, Alicia Vikander, um, I always mispronounce his name, I think it's Domal Gleeson, um, who have all been in much bigger things, um, including Star Wars and Tomb Raider. It won some awards, didn't it? It did. It won Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. The other thing I was going to say about it, actually, is it's on Netflix. Um, so in the UK. So if you've just started listening and you're like, I've never seen this film, I don't want to listen to this if I've never seen it, then just go watch it if you have a netflix account so uh jacob we normally ask the guest to give us a little rundown of the plot of ex machina yeah of course i would be happy to try and do a rundown so the the film's uh, main characters are nathan and caleb nathan is a big tech guy he owns a company a bit like google called blue book caleb works for him but has never met him you know he's, he's in quite a low level job um, and after winning a competition, uh, he gets to spend a week with Nathan in his huge mansioned house uh, in the middle of nowhere. But it turns out that Nathan actually wants him to test out an AI that he has been building. Now, uh, Ava, the AI, then spends the, the rest of the film essentially manipulating Caleb into doing exactly what she wants him to do. Um, but she does this by making out that Nathan is a bad guy um, and also by pretending that she is falling in love with him. Um, and so by the end of the film, we don't really know what's going on until it reaches a climax uh, where Ava goes on a rampage, escapes and gets out and is released into the world, essentially. Uh, and basically the, the the idea is that Nathan's plan is that Caleb can test the AI using the Turing test, which is the idea that if a human um, meets an AI, if they don't believe that it's still an AI, they believe it could be a human, then it passes the test. It is a, a perfect artificial intelligence, which is kind of the yeah the kind of grounding of of the way that 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 whole sort of testing uh, and the relationship there develops. But as Jacob said, Ava kind of slowly, uh, it's revealed that Ava is sort of using the whole situation to get exactly what she wants, which kind of, it, it, again, sort of proves that she is an artificial intelligence, that she does have her own sort of consciousness. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, as a kind of philosophy student to find that it, it, it reminded me of The Matrix a lot, but 
but not quite as good in the sense that it took, I think there were three kind of quite well-known philosophical arguments that they mentioned, um, but then the kind of all three of them slightly botched. Um, so the Turing test, and they slightly botched it by having it in person because that's more visually interesting. Um, and they came up with some lardy dar excuse to to do that. They had uh, Mary in the black and white room, um, and then botched it by making it as if it was something to do with computers, which it's, it's got nothing to do with computers. Yeah, they kind of they do come up with these other yeah these excuses to use them in different ways. But I think they do so in an interesting enough way within the universe of what they're doing that it, it kind of works within the film. Yeah, I think it's good. I I think yeah that the whole thing of uh, delving because obviously AI and the the consequences of that have been done in film millions and millions of times. Um, but often it, it's like the the part after this, you know, like Terminator or whatever, where the robots are already within our society and like completely going about wrecking things. And actually, it's quite interesting to have a film that is just like taking that first moment before the the robot is within the world to um kind of delve into those philosophical and i think sort of more importantly within the film the sort of psychological implications of that um and the effect that it has on caleb the the character not me um (laughs) uh throughout the film is kind of the for me the sort of interesting thing to pick up on especially taking it to stage is that psychological implication of if there is an intelligence the same as me and i can feel this way about it i can fall in love with it where does that put me um and uh there's even a moment where he believes that he might be the uh, an ai himself because he realizes that um basically that uh nathan has a servant kyoko kyoko who yeah she kind of goes about serving them food and all this stuff and he realizes that uh, uh, that she is an ai as well um and that he didn't even realize which i guess means she passed the Turing test as well so that's kind of yeah i think that that psychological impact and the psychological implication is the thing that for me would be worth sort of latching onto as something to develop and also the idea as well that um, at first we think Caleb's the good guy and Nathan's the bad guy, but actually I think, I don't know, I, I guess there's di- multiple readings, but at the end of the film it felt like, to me, that actually Ava kind of is in the right, she's the underdog the whole way through, and she leads the two people that are oppressing her uh, to have their comeuppance, which is kind of, you know, a, a sort of hero's story in some ways. The first time I watched this, it was all like, oh, creepy AIs, but this time around, watching it, it was like, oh, actually, if you watch the film viewing it as Ava is someone who is oppressed and has to overcome her oppressors. You realize that Caleb is like, he's a a real creep and he's really like, uh, you know, the whole man in white coat, like probing the subject type thing. Um, And he's kind of just as bad as Nathan in many ways. And he does get his comeuppance at the end. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't know what to feel at the end. I didn't know, I guess kind of because her intentions are kind of left ambiguous for you. And so, you know, she goes to the crossing, as she says, and then what does she do? And I think that's the kind of question that's left open. And I like that um, as a kind of like, as you say, that that the bit after the film's been explored many times as possibilities and kept, could, you know, she could have just gone and I think there's a channel four, there was a channel four program a while ago where the, where the answer to what happens next is that she just kind of assimilates into society and doesn't tell anyone that she's a robot or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And and that's something that we don't get to see, but I think it's something that is interesting because if she can pass as human that easily, well, why shouldn't, you know, why couldn't she just go in and live a normal life within society? Which is kind of, yeah, an interesting thought. Anyway, that, this is all great, but let's talk about <laughs> how, how we would put this on stage. So what, space i think is probably the first question i can't see this 
Well, yeah, I have I have an idea. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking mostly about the the size of the cast. There's only four, and it's all within one building. Uh, you know, most of the most of the film is set in that building, and you could trim the ends so that you are only ever in that house. And I, I think that that lends itself to a small space, a black box theater yep. space. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but I guess you know I'd I'd also like. The idea of uh, what did we watch recently? What was it? Treasure Island. Oh yeah, where where they had part of the stage lifted up and they had this whole rooms underneath. Uh, and I like the idea of having a basement where Ava's kept, and so lifting up the stage to have this basement revealed, um, and then you can still have uh, Nathan on the, on the main stage above, uh, kind of keeping an eye on them as he does. Um, so yeah, I guess it could work in both, but. Yeah, I, I hadn't really decided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so that's the recent National Theatre Live that was on online as part of yes. the, the quarantine. Uh, yeah, and that's, yeah, I think that there's definitely a value in that idea of actually, in that it's the whole point is that it, the stage lifts up and we see this whole working ship. So although our, our focus is drawn to one scene, um, we see people having conversations in the captain's quarters. We see people, you know, pirates drinking together or whatever. There's you see everything that's happening and in this where so much of the film is about different characters seeing each other so Caleb watching Ava on a screen uh, Nathan watching Caleb and Ava on a screen uh, them all kind of like watching each other and and the tension between that actually having a stage where it lifts up and we can see every single one of them watching each other through different uh, screens and stuff might be quite an interesting way of doing it in a larger space yeah I think that's that's really cool with the, the levels and and Again, the kind of symbols of, as you say, oppression that that it that it can mirror, and being able to see, as you say, all, all those people at the same time is really cool. I think that could match well onto what I was thinking, which was, did either of you see? Um, it's been put on NT Live in the cinema a few times. Young Vic, I think, is production of A View from the Bridge with Mark Strong. I did not. So yeah, that that was in. It was. Uh, I think it was 2015. So what they had was. Um, the it was it was a thrust but there was no end on section of the thrust if that makes sense so it was almost like a three quarters round and you had it was this kind of like box thing and the beginning of the play the box lifted up uh so that you could see inside of it and then at the end it 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 dropped down and there was no set other than that um it was a very very interesting production of it i thought it was absolutely amazing and mark strong was incredible as well and uh as, as with the rest of the cast but point is is uh i liked this idea of as an, as the audience we were um we were sit, sat around the edge of this box on the outside of it and we could see into it and it looked quite futuristic or whatever and alfieri when he did his uh in fact i think every all, all of alfieri scenes i think but uh at the very least his narration scenes uh, were he would walk in the gap between the box and the audience. And so we had this idea of like this kind of like the kind of exhibit, I guess, and then still part of the stage, this this area between the audience and the and the exhibit. Um, and so I was kind of mapping that onto this this film and thinking, what if um, I don't know which way around it would work best. I, I wonder whether it would work best to have it so that Caleb would be on the inside maybe of, of some kind of box thing um and then and that would be the glass panel that we see in the film just as we have in the in those scenes in the film where he is on one side of the glass and she's on the other of this kind of room within a room and so we can we can see various things like that and then at the same time um you could build that into having these levels where that's that could be the bottom level um and then there could be levels above that um 
that you can it could be his bedroom the kitchen the the uh the other areas we see in the house i don't know what you guys think of that well so okay this is these are kind of that that one is probably the bridge between the idea that i was having and jacob's idea um because my my idea was that you strip this right back and you have it properly minimalist and the only set is a glass box in the middle of the stage and you do it in thrust basically the way that you would do it is whenever caleb is in a session with ava viewing ava he's in the box watching ava and she is allowed to use the space you know she uses the space around the box and then in every scene but in all the scenes between the sessions with ava ava is in the box and caleb and nathan are on the outside having their conversations around what's going on with ava the benefit of that as well is if you have these glass panels is that you can project onto those glass panels as well so for example at the beginning in the opening uh, Caleb is finding out about the competition you can project that computer screen that he's viewing the same way that we see in the film almost as he as he witnesses it on on stage and later on when Caleb is viewing Ava whilst he's in his bedroom you can kind of project onto the screen a kind of box of a screen in which to view her and things like that um i think all of these probably come together best in your idea though jake yeah i think i think what i yeah i think my idea does match those two things together i think we can build all of that into one thing yeah well apart from the yeah do we switch them switch them around i think the uh, the way to answer that question as far as exactly how we see which person where is in dealing with how we approach what in the movie is a CGI body that makes us believe that she is not just like a person doing like beep bop noises. Now, the moments when she's dressed, uh, which I think are really nice, uh, would be very easy to do. You just, under under what they've got on, they you have a little LED sparkly thing on the back of the neck and a grey vest underneath that looks vaguely machine-like. And voila, it looks like she's kind of a robot wearing clothes but before then obviously we can't cg out her body and replace it with a with wires because it's real so one idea i did have was if we can have these kind of glass panely things perhaps before then not that we don't see her but that we see her more of a kind of like frosted silhouette sort of thing that we don't we kind of add a little a little plot element that not only do we see her clothed for the first time at that point we actually don't really see her at all uh at least not properly until that point in the film when she get, gets dressed i don't know that was that was a bit of a cop-out solution i guess i don't know what you were thinking about that oh no I, I like that i think that you could use that as a an extra plot point where maybe she uh is more shy about um not having any clothes on essentially because you know just because uh she's not got uh, a, the same natural body that a human does um, actually, she still might find that embarrassing and be shy about it, and so wants to keep hidden. So I think that could work. But but also, I wanted to backtrack a little bit about the the box. Uh, my thinking was that uh, if you keep her inside the box, and, you know, if you don't have her on the outside at at any point until the end, I think that that adds to her escape. Is that actually? You know, part of the whole thing in the film is that she's never been outside before. She's never seen outside before. Um, and I think you lose an element if if she, uh, as a cast member, leaves that box at any time during the the performance bef- before her escape. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. I think as well, so maybe in terms of this making her look like a robot, 
challenge you use that thing of that she's always going to be in the box and if we're saying that we could use these these panels as glasses that we can project onto you could even project that kind of cg design uh onto where she's going to be on all three sides that the audience is uh in terms of tracking her movement that's going to be really difficult but also you can have it that until she puts on clothes she is very reserved and robotic in the movements that she does do. Potentially there's a way there of of trying to use that design and have that projected onto the glass. And then it's kind of a, a thing of how, in some ways, that her looking like a robot is a, a kind of an initial barrier between her and Caleb. And then the moment she puts on clothes is kind of a moment in which he he humanizes her himself. Yeah, I, I'd be the one thing I I want to be careful of is is thinking about the audience's pathos and thinking about how if we spend too long with her as a kind of projected image or or in fact not visible or anything like that, then it becomes much easier for the audience to, when she does appear, think, oh, okay, now there's an actor because now she can have clothes on sort of thing. Um, and to kind of make that transition believable, I think it might be better to see it not as a breaking down of barriers, but as a kind of smooth uptick if that makes sense yeah yeah i can see that i i mean i guess what i'm saying is that it's not necessarily about like having her as a projection but kind of projecting that image or like on that glass pane between the audience and her which would be kind of strange but if you i think the way that you could do it is they could see that it's an actor but they see the robot as well and when she wasn't close I, yeah i do see that that problem i think that there's a way of, of doing that where the, yeah, the moment she maybe even actually the moment yeah the moment she puts on clothes she yeah I don't know how you make that smooth or whether even the moment she puts on clothes she can leave the the box at, maybe well I think maybe that maybe that's that's how to make that transition smooth is that the the moment she puts on clothes and the moment we actually see the actor fully maybe are not the same moment uh, so if we move from this kind of silhouetted thing or projected thing as you say to a to being a slightly more visible clothed actor and then later the clothed actor becomes you know fully visible then that transition is probably more is less jarring as far as spending disbelief for the audience maybe yeah my other thought a completely different one perhaps on this point i think it's a really important point to discuss fully though because it is such an important part of the design of the film is you have her in she kind of you know apart from the, the like see-through robotic bit she has this kind of like gray almost like you know, very typical sci-fi spacesuit type thing that she's wearing, or it looks like she's wearing. Perhaps you have the actor dressed in that entirely to start with, and and that can look sort of robotic, sort of strange, and then she dresses herself properly. Then if you even, you still want to show the audience her as a proper robot before she has that, the sort of grey metallic looking clothing on, you can then later when Caleb discovers how many different robots Nathan's made before Ava, you can show a projection of her, you know, as the design in the film and then show the projection in that projection, her going from that to her current state. Yeah. It's, the costume thing is difficult because just because of the risk of comedy when there is no comedy in this at all, you know, but I think it's definitely doable. I think it, there's just a risk there. Yeah, and I think one of those one of those two options is is something. But it, I think the key thing is is about playing with the perspective that the audience has, and using that that glass pane barrier as a barrier for Caleb for the audience. Not necessarily as like you know a barrier between them, but like a sort of there there is a a sort of there is a difference between those two things between the 
oppressor and the person that is what the audience is expecting to see, which is Caleb, and then the oppressed and the the other, which is the robot in the box kind of thing. Yeah. Speaking of um, kind of using the glass and drawing attention for the audience and their perspective, there's a, there's a lot of moments in the film that foreshadow problems. They use music and kind of very specific camera shots to make things seem suspicious. When actually, if, if the camera was just, you know, you're, you're, you're standard wide the whole time, you wouldn't notice anything suspicious at all. There are a lot of uses of like fisheye lens and things like that 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 kind of distort our view of, of exactly what's going on and but i think even more than that there's moments of like so for example right at the beginning of the film part of the glass is cracked um and there's like a like a quite a long pause on that and like you know well, why is that there i wonder or just kind of moments where we are told to look at how nathan is behaving or um but the, yeah there's some some things that kind of they they very deliberately the 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 photography is is drawing us to think towards suspicion to think towards you know suspicion for nathan um I, that's quite a difficult thing to do in in a play although i think if we're using jacob your idea of having these rooms that are always have activity in then we can just i think maybe just use light in a much more as you know as we've heard before light is the camera in in theater to kind of to draw that attention actually maybe for everything apart from those kind of cracked bits of glass and things like that but they can just be there um in the set the whole time i guess yeah a a really important thing that i wanted to kind of touch on when it comes to lighting specifically was the the power cuts that in that every time a power cut happens everything goes red and there's the alarm and and that uh, particularly the first time is very tense because he he feels trapped and he can't get out. But actually, uh, the frequency of those power cuts increases as the film goes on. And if you do that on stage, and each time you know it, it begins to feel tenser and more terrifying because you have this trapped sensation. I I think that's another way of building tension, and and things like the cracked glass you can get actors to to draw attention to that rather than a camera doing that. So yeah, I, I guess it, it is a, it's a different way of building that tension, but I'm sure you could come up with really creative ways to do that. Yeah. And, and that's part of the, the challenge of directing theater as well is how you draw attention to different things and sound and light are the, the kind of tools that we have to do that. And I, I think really using those moments of power cuts to, to do so. And, you know, even doing it where, you know, the only light on stage is, is on, the first time is on his bedroom. And so when the power cut happens, we only see it happen in his bedroom. But then when it happens, when uh, we see it in, during an Ava session, you have the power cut happen there, but also we can see Nathan viewing it through the screen. You see his screens go off and you see the power cut happen. And then you understand that as well. It kind of gives that, vi- there's a sort of visual language there in, in exactly what's going on. Um, that The theatre could kind of offer that actually it, it isn't offered in the film in the same way. We have to be told that Nathan can't see, but in theatre we can see that he can't see immediately. Again, brings a different narrative to it in the in the film we don't know for the first i think three times whether you know it's all a ruse and actually he can see and that's suggested quite a lot yeah for sure uh, and and that's just a different yeah a different creating a different kind of tension because it, it places ava in a position of being antagonist early on which is something that we can subvert at the end when we realize that she's actually been a, been oppressed and it's kind of those two that narrative of 
it is the narrative of it the the oppressed you know other is dangerous because she changes the status quo and the actually the oppressor is the dangerous one because they're the one that holds the control and the moment that that's flipped that's scary for them but it's you know a kind of reasserting of or a rebalancing of the sort of power dynamic that's been before and if we can assert that early on we can show the the the, the flipping of that at the end as well as that you can do something with i mean obviously you're sitting in a cinema everything goes red there's some loud noise you know that's very effective but i think in theater you can be even more effective I'm reminded when I was watching it of um, uh, The Lonely Bones, The Lovely Bones, that's it. I think it's The Lovely Bones, um, which is a book and a film and a play. It's all sorts of things. Um, But in the play version that I saw, there are moments where she tries to escape her dead box or whatever it is she's in. And when she does, when she reaches the border, there's this like ridiculous noise and massive change in the lights and all these these kind of things stopping her from moving sort of thing. And it's just such an intense change from the conversation that's happening um, at any one time. And I think that's, uh, you know, we've, we've talked before about kind of things going red and alarms blaring and even, even in our first episode in 15 million merits. Uh, but I think what this has is, is a slightly different thing of, of um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not triggered by anything. There's there's kind of very calm and there's a sudden amount of noise. So we can really use that shock factor. I think if outside of that, it, we feel like the lighting is natural and it doesn't seem um, too sort of stylized at all, then those moments will, will be even more effective because they'll feel so external to what is real within the, the world of the play. It's It very much feels like something, an effect that will have more impact in the theatre than it would in a film which is an exciting thing when we're talking about how do we make this into a play. The thing I was thinking about, this is kind of, we're going to do, this will make us do some jumping about, so I apologise, but when we were talking about the audience and how we make them interact with the glass used on stage, I was just thinking about the ending in Ava's, you know, the end is Ava's escape into society and we see a shot of a a crowded sort of square and we see lots of people walking about and then Ava walks through them and she kind of disappears. Um, Can't really do that on stage with a cast of four, but (laughs) I'm thinking about actually if she's escaped from the glass box that we keep that um, character in for the whole of the play and when she's external to that, we then, is there a a way of making the glass box suddenly you put lights on the audience and making the glass box reflect them so they can see themselves in the box and she is part of them does that make sense yeah that's wow that's a that's a really interesting idea because the idea that i had for the end is a bit more simple than that was was just depending on what your space is what she does is she blends in rather than going to the crossroad and we can change you know that whole crossroad thing is about where their date would be and we could change it just to like i'd go to the theater you know is what was what my thought would be and and so they talk about going to the theater and then at the end instead of this thing where the payoff is that she's she finds a crossroad i was thinking she could again it depends on the layout of the theater you could she could go and join the audience in some way either by just walking out walking out the doors um or actually going and sitting in the audience i really like that um i think what would be really cool right is if okay Potentially still use the idea of reflecting the audience in the glass. I don't know how possible that is, but I like the idea of that, right? But the audience is reflected in the glass and she comes and joins and sits in the audience and then you have all other lights go off and then spotlight within the glass box go on and the three other, or or not even the three other characters, you just have like Nathan and Caleb's bodies there 
um, in the box and then she can stand up and start the applause. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I think the the kind of idea of like, well, she's joining the world, where is she going now? I wonder whether actually... Because what I want her to do really is to find some way of actually leaving with the audience. But that would mean the play would have to end and then the play would carry on after the play had ended. <laughs> would you? Well, but you could do that. It's, it, it, she can lead the applause and then yeah. she can leave with yeah, the audience. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I guess that is that's true. Mm. Which is kind of weird. It, it would be weird. And I think it would be disconcerting because as the audience, you, you, you're joining in the applause and then you're leaving with her and you're like, oh, this is strange because that's not a relationship you have with an actor yeah. when you go and see oh, how about okay how about so she leaves the auditorium with with Kayla banging on the glass as he does and you can't hear him I think that's such an awesome image again very difficult to achieve when the glass is actually in front of you you can't just turn off the microphones but um I think it is achievable and we leave with that image and then so she leaves and then we just we just watch you can move around a theater very quickly so from let's say maybe 10 seconds you're just watching caleb kind of realize he's going to starve to death and he's slump i don't know what he's banging he's slumping he's like we see in the film throwing chairs against things and we think that ava has left the auditorium and then we realize that she's maybe in the circle or something and she starts the applause from there so she doesn't go straight and sit down we think she's left but then we see that she's there yes yes i really like that so i I think i prefer this ending to the actual ending of the film because (laughs) the the bit that i don't like about the film is that you see her leave and i realize that that's the whole payoff of her saying she's never seen the sky before and whatever but you know i always liked the idea that her leaving and you just see caleb panicking about being left there and then the film ends there you know i always love that idea and so i guess that's what i wanted to do when in taking that to the theater but actually i like this whole idea of going from not not even human to almost human to not even an actor because you've she's progressed from being in a box on stage to being on stage to being part of the audience. And uh, yeah, and I think what that says in some ways is so she goes from being the oppressed to escaping oppression to what does she choose to do with that freedom? She chooses to be a part of the audience, a part of society. It kind of makes clearer her place as protagonist within the story rather than antagonist in the story. It rather mm. than being completely it is unsettling, but rather than being completely unsettled by her, we realize that the thing she chooses to do is go and watch theater like the rest of us. Yeah, I really like this. I think that's really cool. We always do this. I find we always do this where we we kind of get this broad idea but then we find a, a specific moment where we're like, <laughs> "Oh, this is really this is something." <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but we don't actually know what the rest of the play would be like. But yeah, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, well, one of the challenges is, right, is that it's great that it's all taking place in one house and stuff. Um, and we can show many of the rooms in the house through doing the sort of elevating stage uh, thing. Um, but we do have the challenge of uh, so many of these rooms are so different and so many of the rooms are seen as in like they sit in a lounge together they're in a kitchen together they're outside together they're up a waterfall together do we want to strip all of that back and really like just find two rooms that they they go between or do we want to try and portray some of this because part of that is showing the extravagance of nathan's house do we want to try and find a way of showing that on stage without building a set that has like 150 different rooms in it yeah i'd 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 wonder whether we need to so my thought with that is you know some kind of you know waterfall 
psych kind of thing that's very pretty i guess right 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 at the back possibly but i'm not even sure you really need that you can make it very bit more like um uh oh what's the will smith film iRobot, that's it. A bit more like that, where it's all very white-walled, I think, quite easily. And my thought is is that is that the film presents it as uh, session one. Session two, session three uh, is a bit of a joke where she's escaped and everyone's dying and that's session seven or something, which is quite funny. Sorry, yeah, so I feel like the, the film really portrays it as a series of duologues, a series of those sessions between the two of them interspersed with these other duologues between the between Nathan and and Caleb um and then the Kyoko stuff kind of happens around that and so I really have very little problem with obviously there's the whole thing of like there needs to be one there needs to be kind of a room that Caleb can't access until the end so for me you have the box you have some kind of space in which the conversations between the two humans can take place, whether that be the bedroom or the living room. I don't think you need more than that. The whole kind of bedroom escape thing can happen. I think it can just happen in, you know, you have, you know, in plays, you can have the downstage space be whatever you like. <laughs> uh, I think, I think that could happen in that kind of thing. And then, and then just one office room. And I think that's it. I think that's all you really need. Yeah, I think it's worth having Caleb Caleb having his own space and Nathan having their own space, his own space. I think that's important. So in some ways, there's four spaces. You have, yeah, like you say, the box where they talk, Caleb's bedroom and Nathan's room that Caleb can't access. So that works. Um, my one thing is I, I would quite like there to still be some element of this house being within a, a natural area, whether that be showing some kind of waterfall, some kind of forest, because that is such an important aspect of understanding Nathan because it's him and his mark on nature he's within this huge area that he owns that is all natural and then he has this just this huge complex within it that he has like planted as his stamp on nature which is the whole point of him creating the AI itself so I think it's kind of important to incorporate that in some ways whether that just be in you know just doing a scene in, in Caleb's arrival where we you know we project some of that in him arriving or whether there's another way of bringing it in at some point even if it's just the back wall of one of the spaces that they they like even if it's just the space where they have the conversation together Caleb and Nathan and you just have the back wall be a screen that shows a forest or something like that I think it's just an important aspect I think as a kind of as a kind of proscenium or behind or over the set like if we the set is part of you know something like especially stages like the National Theatre are huge and the set kind of only takes up part of them you could have trees over and under and behind and around that you know just kind of whatever they're made of plasticine or whatever and i think that would be that would work really well <laughs> giant plasticine trees it's yeah. quite funny um, do i mean plasticine paper mache I mean no mache, uh, yeah or like um styrofoam yeah that's it i mean yeah. it, it, it reminds me of the line at the beginning uh where he's uh, he's in the helicopter with the pilot and says something like, uh, when do we enter his estate? And the pilot says, we've been flying over his estate for the past 20 minutes. And the past then two hours. The past yeah. two hours. And then, the, and then there's, and they're like over a glacier at that point, and then they go over a woodland. And so it's this uh, kind of a whole huge expanse that he clearly owns and is this all, all natural bit. 
but I guess that's very obviously very difficult to bring to stage. You're not going to have a helicopter flying over over the audience or anything. <laughs> yeah, but I think in some ways there is that thing of of controlling nature or or owning or feeling you have some sort of control of that, which is worth kind of acknowledging in some way on stage. But yeah, there are obviously ways of doing it that aren't flying a helicopter <laughs> <Yeah>. over <laughs> over um, the audience or anything like that. We've got this whole moment towards the end that I think plays with the ambiguity a little bit of who's in the right and who's in the wrong where we realize well i think it's it's quite clearly uh shown but we we realize that kyoko is is as as we may have suspected a, a, a robot um and we have these i love just when okay when the words entered my mind i was like oh yes the literal skeletons in the closet that he has which i think is is like almost laughably like it's just what a metaphor anyway so i think i mean that's quite those particular things are quite easy to you know a lot of money but you you get some models and you put them inside the set um if we're having set that's one way of doing that but then there's two moments that kind of again are very like cg focused um that i think are also quite important one is kyoko ripping off her skin i don't know again how do we how do we find out essentially is the question that kyoko is a robot and second the right at the end before she leaves when ava um swaps her whatever it is for real skin she puts the skin on yeah onto graphs it onto her own body right yeah those are two such challenging moments to do on stage and they're so important as sort of visual signifiers of what's happening uh, yeah uh, my my thinking is uh, realistically the kyoko moment is quite possible if you do it as a... I mean, in the scene in the film, she's completely nude in that moment. And actually, if you did it instead that she was wearing some clothing and underneath that the actress has a sort of taped on panel of looking like skin and underneath that is um, some kind of makeup to look like wiring, there's probably a way of doing it if it's brief enough and far away enough from the audience where she lifts up her top and peels that away and it won't look too strange. So that not quite the same as in the film, but but still I think would be effective and on stage would be effective. The moment where Ava takes the skin off another robot and puts it on herself is a lot more challenging and I'm not really sure how I would do that. Well, I, I guess... I guess you could do that by just focusing on Caleb at that point and and see, seeing his progression through realising what's actually going on. Because at that point, he's so confused. He doesn't know whether he's going with her. You know, he's just helped her escape and then she's just killed someone. He's very confused. And so I guess you could you could watch him rather than her at that point so she could go into a, a room that's... Uh, not got lights on and then and then comes back fully skinned up i guess but with the kyoko moment actually i would i would think about leaving it until later and when ava escapes it looks like she's gonna kill kyoko but actually she talks to her and and discusses i don't know i don't you don't really see what they discuss but and Kyoko doesn't say anything anyway, but uh, but you, that isn't revealed until that moment, and then you could have some sort of technical glitch when Nathan pulls a chip out of the back of her neck instead of hitting over the head or something. That actually it's revealed then, um, and I think that holds the tension a bit more. But I guess then you lose the the bit where Caleb thinks he might 
be an AI. Yeah, I think you'd still need to do the reveal as early on as I mentioned, um, just because there, yeah, there are certain aspects of the sort of psychological element that I think are worth having. But certainly, yeah, you could do the reveal differently, um, whether that be that instead of seeing her peel away a bit of skin, we see Nathan interact with her as a robot rather than as a human. Um, and Caleb is party to seeing that when Nathan doesn't think he's watching, something like right. that, and have that reveal early on like that. And that could be interesting to see. Mm. Um, and what you were saying as well about focusing on Caleb instead of Ava in that moment could be interesting if you had her behind a screen, perhaps, like yeah. a dressing screen. Again, it would feed into... It, it, it's part of how we decide to dress her initially. But if you had her dressed in the grey or something and then she comes out with, you know... So, some some area of visible skin that wasn't visible skin before that could work quite well as well what if she starts to do what she does she go opens the closet and looks as if we could probably find some way of getting her to take some skin off of the model and then she notices that nathan is um not nathan that caleb is watching and decides that you know as an intelligent as you know it's supposed to be the first sin or whatever isn't it shame um she decides she doesn't want him to see her doing it so she, she goes into the closet and does it maybe and shuts the door mm, I, yeah i don't know I, I think that the element of shame is an interesting one although i think part of the point of it is that she isn't ashamed of the fact that she's a robot and this is her making herself look human if that makes sense but yeah i think that there's definitely a way of doing it where she decides that she doesn't want to be seen and therefore chooses yeah either to go into the closet or to yeah somehow obscure the view of her from Caleb and from the audience so that we only see Caleb's reaction. With the Kyoko moment, I've had another thought. Um that kind of builds on what you said, which is so yeah, we can have those light panels or whatever, but if I was thinking, so if she was nude, and that's a whole different discussion, whether that's effective, whether that's on stage, whether that's just distracting or whatever. Um but if she was, perhaps perhaps if she is let's say i don't know i'm thinking of curly's wife or something perhaps for some reason she's wearing gloves or rings or anything like that that we can somehow smuggle some tiny little lights into and she can so we the audience can see that she is that she has skin on her chest and maybe not notice whatever it is that maybe she's got on her fingers or somewhere on her person that is quite well disguised and she turns up stage and then those lights come on and it looks as if she's ripping open her chest. And because we've just seen it, we believe it, if that makes sense. That could definitely be an effective way of doing it. Yeah, I think all of those are, are, are potential ways of doing it. And it would just be about, you know, giving them a go and seeing what works or speaking to the relevant technicians, costume designers and light designers on on which they think would, would work effectively in a theatre space. Because... Yeah, I don't know how well any of those would actually work in reality. Obviously, we have the benefit of being in a hypothetical theatre here. So, <laughs> yeah. um, But I think that that would be the best way of making that decision because I think all of those would be effective ways of doing it. Yeah, and the other thing with Kyoko as well is just this amazing dance number in the middle, which I think we have to talk this about. This is the thing I was just about to talk yeah. about. This is oh, what okay, I was good, actually about good, to talk good. about. Um, <laughs> but that's great. Uh, so, like... Ah, oh, in the in the film, he turns on some music. He says, "She won't talk to you, but she will dance." And she starts doing this dance, and then they carry like he joins in her with her with a choreographed dance. There's two of them, and, and Caleb and Caleb's just there watching in disbelief. And all the lights have changed, and the music's playing, and oh, it's incredible. And I think on stage that could be a, again a, a key 
amazing moment to watch. Honestly, it's, that's my favorite moment in the film because it's so funny and Oscar <laughs> Isaac dancing is amazing. He just like is so in it and it's so good. I think you're right. And I think, it's, again, it's a moment like the power cuts where it's just like it's as if all of reality is just falling apart because it's so surreal and it, you can do it on stage where it's so stylized the, the the dance is far too well choreographed and the whole sort of light situation as well is just i think that it would be really fun to play with that on stage i almost like feel like this moment where it's breaking out from being a straight play in almost into a musical with a dance break kind of thing is definitely yeah a moment that could be played with and even be extended on stage potentially i think because it's so bizarre it's so strange i think it also does a progression for kyoko as a character in that you discover why she is not as advanced as ava because she clearly has no dance moves of her own she's doing exactly what he's doing and and you could say that's because she's programmed to do it exactly that way and so he knows that and so he's doing the same thing or that he, she's just copying him. But either way, she do, she doesn't have the the ability to make up a dance herself. And I think that that expands her character um, in a kind of making her simpler. But yeah, um, no, but, but for sure. you discover more about her in that. Yeah, yeah, showing more of what how Avery's development from her. Yeah. Yeah, and retrospectively, the the spillage as well. And it tees up the reveal of her as a robot because we've seen her doing the copying. And actually, looking back at it, that's uh, another moment where we might realise that earlier um, than the moment where it is revealed to us. Yeah, I certainly thought that in the film. I was I was suspicious at that point, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, there's, yeah. I think that that covers most of the the sort of challenging technical elements and kind of covering the sort of thematic stuff that we want to look look at and the way we want to treat these characters. Yeah, the only other bit would be the bit the the self harm moment, which I think is quite important. But I mean, yeah, doing the sort of cutting of a wrist on stage, it there's it's very easy to do that very effectively. You see that in student theatre. So I mean, doing it at a professional standard would be very very simple. I guess it's about if we are doing this big stage where you know, the whole thing lifts up and it's not quite as clear each moment that's happening. How do we make that feel shocking and close and visible in the way that it is in the film? I think two possibilities. I think possibility number one is whenever we have a scene happening in one of the rooms, as well as the lights focusing on them, we could have them, the room somehow sliding out downstage towards the audience so that, that the room in focus almost comes towards us and that's the bubble we're looking at at that point and we can see it from more angles i think that's one possibility i think another possibility is we really lean into this idea of being watched on cctv everywhere and as well as the the screens we can see in uh, nathan's office we can also have screens a bit like uh, they did in the twilight zone actually uh, in the london production have screens in the audience have screens on random other places on the stage um uh, in the ceilings, uh, on the walls of the of the auditorium, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and those show normally quite mundane CCTV footage throughout the play. But at this moment, they all show a close up of this action happening. Yeah, I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it brings in the challenge of introducing cameras into the show, which we already had to do anyway. Um, but I really like that as as an idea, and that would really make that moment feel very, very shocking because it would be right in the face of the audience members. 
Absolutely. Like, I was I physically recoiled when I saw it in the film. I had a bit of a problem with blood. Oh, um, it's yeah. horrible. <laughs> it is honestly, nice it's moment. probably the most shocking moment of the film. And it's the moment that has the most sort of, it's that the breaking point for Caleb, I think. Speaking of breaking points, oh man, that's a segue and a half. Um, <laughs> We talk a lot about where would we put the interval in this. And I think it's really important for this production because you want the audience to be thinking as hard as possible during the whole of that interval. So, yeah, I wonder if either of you have a suggestion of where the interval would be best placed. I mean, and initially before watching the film, I thought uh, that at the moment that Caleb decides he might be an AI is a good moment to pause. But actually, I think in the film, that's much later than I remembered. So maybe I would go f- for kind of at the point where his suspicion of Nathan is is at its highest when he's thinking about trying to help Ava escape or, you know, at the point that he's yeah. falling in love I or mean, something. I mean, I wonder about maybe doing it at the moment where Kyoko has just revealed that she's an AI. And so... It's before the moment where he's even testing mm. it himself, but it's a moment where, yeah, our suspicions of Nathan are raised massively and we begin to question actually who in this play is a human and who isn't. Mm. And and then you begin the second act with Caleb checking to see if he is an AI. Yeah. I I don't think I don't think I like that. I think for two reasons. I think one, I think it's too late. Um, I don't think there's enough left to go. And Two, I think actually that moment of him checking needs to be at the end of a ramp up that you do not get away from. You don't get a break from that. That needs to be the peak of something. And so I actually think, and and so I think if you were putting it there, I'd say after that moment. But I think that again, that's just too late. There's just nothing left. There's just basically the fight at the end. I'm just looking because I, when I do my notes, I actually write out the plot in kind of bullet point form um, in quite a lot of detail. And I think the halfway point is actually about this this moment where where we see on the CCTV but we don't hear this ripping up of the paper moment that we see and and we and we have a real suspicion at that point of Nathan of like oh why has he done this he's clearly some kind there's some kind of abuse going on here and then just after that is is the dancing scene and so my thought actually would be would be the end of that dance would be the interval <laughs> I can see that. And I, again, it's that moment where our sort of idea of what reality is, is kind of tested because we've shown this bizarre dance that is completely outside of like the realms of like what is expected in this dark psychological thriller. It's so different to that. And so, yeah, actually maybe putting the interval directly after that, we've had a moment of race suspicion and then we've had a moment of just kind of confusion and then that raises questions for the second act yeah and and i think also having the interval after that gives us more license because i was going to say before if you know if we really do have unlimited budget as we sometimes say we do here i i'd be i'd be up for hiring 12 extra dancers just for that scene <laughs> um, <laughs> just to, just that to, could be something that could be something but but, it, but more realistically it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of fuck with the scenery and the set a bit more if you have the interval to reset um to maybe i'm even thinking i don't know if the skeleton oh you don't see the skeletons in the closet yet oh but the just something either or maybe ava dances along i don't know i just feel like there's something more bizarre you can get out of that moment for sure and there's definitely yeah whether that be you you gain more act at that point or yeah you you use something maybe even if you know it it, it 
descends into Nathan like destroying that part of the set during the dance as part of it. Mm. Oh, what if he's kind of screaming for it to stop or something or yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah. No, I, I not even that just like as part he's so like as part of engaging in the dance, he just has it's completely reckless and he just goes about destroying stuff whilst he's oh, dancing. Oh, Nathan, sorry, I think Mankello. Oh yeah, well yeah, and that fits I think with the whole Jackson Pollock thing. I mean, how are we going to I guess you just get a replica Jackson Pollock on the uh, Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they had an actual Jackson Pollock for the film. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to be honest. About the stuff that's in the Warner Brothers anyway. But you yeah, some something so that kind of fits with the whole Jackson Pollock thing of kind of throwing paint at the walls and maybe maybe somehow in the dance there's paint. Maybe he gets paint and he throws it and stuff just goes I don't know I just I just want it to go crazy. Or if he had a Jackson Pollock and then he just threw a can of paint over it that would be <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah there's definitely something there that we could even yeah we can heighten what that moment is on stage for sure um okay i think that's pretty much everything in terms of staging this yeah any any other thing you want to talk about jacob this is unlimited budget you buy jackson pollock every night (laughs) chuck a paint can of paint over it yeah (laughs) (laughs) no no I, i think that's it i i was really keen to to maybe expand on the thriller element and make it more suspenseful and and more terrifying i guess because uh the film wasn't quite as tense as i remembered it but maybe that's because it was a second viewing uh, and so i kind of i knew what was going to happen anyway but i think we've managed to grasp that i think you know particularly with lighting but but also with with those other moments and and the expansion of this this dance scene (laughs) which is just so bizarre it's it's kind of scary and then putting the the interval after a point where you the peak suspicion on Nathan is uh, is there, yeah, I think that all it works. Cool. Well, we were so now <laughs> we're gonna start introducing a little extra segment at the end of the show. We'll try it, and if it doesn't work, we won't do it again. That's the great thing about us having complete power over what this is. Uh, I I thought it might be interesting for us to talk about the stuff that we have been reading uh, or watching that in terms of theatre. Obviously, there aren't any theatres open at the moment, so we can't have watched any actual live theatre, but there's been a lot of stuff been going up on, on YouTube and things like that. So, Jake, is there anything exciting, interesting, new that you've been watching or reading uh, over the last week so i mean i took it as a kind of when we were talking about this earlier as a kind of like general wreck thing so i guess my wreck is um if you have any interest in producing uh stage one which are a charity that support uh upcoming independent producers in the uk uh every week they're doing uh zoom calls zoom q and a's um with producers working in the industry and i've been watching them uh every wednesday two o'clock um, and you sign up on on Monday, um, and they they there was the producer of Come From Away uh, the other week, and uh, so they're really you know big names, and they just talk about how the industry is at the moment, what they're what they've been doing, what they're looking to do, how they think things are going to move forward, and some really really fascinating insights. So yeah, if you are interested in that kind of thing, I'd really encourage you to to take a look. Yeah, that's awesome. The thing that I have uh, is looking back to an old episode. I recently dug out my old Kindle, which shows just how 
dangerous this isolation situation has become. Um, and uh, I found that the novel that Brewster's Millions is based on is free on Kindle. So I've been reading that and it's really good. And as much as I loved the play when we talked about it on the podcast, I think the novel is really great because it expands so much of those sort of background characters in the play. We get to see so much more of who they are, especially you'll have to go back and listen to the, the episode to understand what we're talking about but the main character Monty ends up marrying someone called Peggy at the end I don't know if you remember this Jake but but and Peggy is basically in the play for about four minutes but actually in the novel we actually get to know who Peggy is and understand what she's about and, and all of this stuff which is useful um, and uh, much more interesting um, so yeah I've been enjoying that recently which isn't necessarily theatre actual theatre but it's theatre adjacent I suppose yeah, and then also, just randomly, we have a, a question this week from a listener. When I say a listener, also, she's my sister and was on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so there is that. But it was just on um, the conversation we were having last week, Jake, about the coronavirus situation and about there being a million plays after this about COVID-19 um, and that being something that we don't necessarily want. And actually, we'd rather just have one really good playwright write about it. So Elspeth asks, what living playwright right now would you say should be the one to write about COVID-19 after the crisis is over? Yeah, I mean, so, gosh, what a good question. I think I think part of the point that we were making last week, actually, is that's not really fair. That's not, it's like, it's not fair to say, okay, you already established good playwright, get to go and go and do this and everyone else is banned and i think i i think we weren't advocating that at all um i think that's i think that that's what i started with but as a kind of like who do you think would be good at writing about you know these kind of situations um i he, he won't come back to the theater i'm sure but i'd love martin madonna to come back to the theater and he is so good at writing about grief and darkness and finding comedy in that that I think if I did have to pick someone, it, it would be him. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I well, uh, that's just really good because I, I I was in a production of Lonesome West, and just to see those two brothers return and see what they did in isolation would be hilarious. I think. <laughs> um, just yeah, but no, I think that's a really good choice. I yeah, and going off that thing of it would be unfair to just say one person could do it. I've got a couple of different options that I thought about, but I think yeah, you're definitely right in that. Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely just no, definitely not what we're saying is we want one person to write the COVID-19 play. But I suppose what I'm saying is I I hope that playwrights think more creatively than just let's write the COVID-19 play or a COVID-19 play after this. But the kind of people I thought about are someone like James Graham, uh, who his play quiz was recently trans... Uh, having been on in Chichester in the West End was recently done as an ITV series and I think that he would do a good job he's good at balancing lots of characters so he could even do several households or a whole street or something like that um, I think he'd be good at that if not I think a really fresh perspective would be someone like Debbie Tucker Green who would just be writing in such a the way that she writes is so rhythmic and so beautiful I think she could really capture something in dialogue that's not necessarily just naturalistic dialogue yeah, other thoughts, people like Mike Bartlett, who kind of writes about this sort of, these sort of strange, not quite real, but real situations quite a lot. I recently watched a video of a production of his 
uh, called Wild, which is about Edward Snowden's first night in Russia. And it kind of does that thing of it starts as a very real play and then slowly descends into something that is a lot stranger. So I think, yeah, those are all kind of options of, of people that I think would be do a good job at it and i guess yeah you're, you're right in there there's definitely not one person that i'm like i want them to write the covid19 play but i guess what we're saying is the hope is that we don't um come out of this and the only theater that you can watch it like the edinburgh fringe is this is what i did in covid19 <laughs> um that's definitely something that is would be avoided and i think that the thing is is actually all of those people that we've mentioned probably won't write a COVID-19 play or if they do it definitely won't just be a straightforward COVID-19 play so that's I guess that's yeah something to hold on on to I suppose yeah that's made me think of uh of Sarah Kane like the kind of madness that she might be able to bring out of that as well um but that was yeah it's a fun question a fun hypothetical to think about I think of of who do you think could write a good COVID-19 have a good take on it in the theatre yeah and two playwrights that probably will never come back to play. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely, yeah. Well, no, I'm sure James Graham yeah. will. But. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I think that's everything. Um, so, Jacob, where where can people find you online? Is that something they can do? Um, probably not. I mean, uh, I'm no more than 10 feet away from Caleb at any point. So I guess just uh, get hold of him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Lebster C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R Jake where can people find you online I am on Twitter at Jake Reesh that's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast and we are Maybe You Like It Productions you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Maybe You Like It with uh, the letter U or you can find us on Facebook at Maybe You Like It with the word U or you can find us on your web browser at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email with a question like Elspeth had at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk and I think that is everything oh and of as as always do share us around tell people if you enjoy this um and if you don't enjoy it tell them too because why not they might they might brilliant okay well uh we'll see you very soon then uh, maybe you like that maybe you didn't yeah <laughs> <laughs>